Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfell Shaw, and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem, Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020, and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. Each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road, and occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? To help me answer this question, I've got Kate Price, and Kate and I have been working on the Facing Up podcast for many months together, and so it's with great pleasure, but a bit of trepidation, that I'm handing over the control that I've, of course, loved so much, giving it to Kate, so she can interrogate me about what has been happening over the past week. Kate, over to you. Indeed, you're finally letting me actually get behind the microphone. So, the last week. Where did you start this week, and where did you end up on the mic? Very excitingly, for the first time in 2021, I was back on the bike, setting off from Istanbul and heading all the way over to Ankara. So it was just shy of 500 k's on Chris the tandem, which is which is about as much as I've ever done in a week. And I think part of the reason for that is had this amazing cyclist with me. He's a Turkish dentist, but first and foremost, I'd say he's a cyclist, a guy called Sinan Kargi, and he is a bit of a legend on the bike. He did 16 hours on the Brompton just just for fun. On a Brompton? Sorry, what's a Brompton? You know, one of those bikes that you just sort of pack up and fold together and take on the train. So it's got the tiny wheels and a really long. Tall saddle. You use it for commuting, so maybe doing five miles as a commute through London. But he decided to spend 16 hours indoors on these rollers. Means you can cycle and stationary. Just 16 hours on that, and oh, oh, this is nice. Tashikoli, <laughs> thanks so much. So what just happened is、uh, we're recording here in Turkey, and a guy has just come up to me and given me. A lettuce leaf, a long iceberg lettuce leaf, and in the center of it are two pieces of sigkofta, chigkofta, I think it's actually called, which is this kind of spicy red bulgur wheat mixed with tomato pepper paste thing, which is really nice. Not what I expected, and not that relevant to cycling towards Ankara, except that of course you do need food to get there. But this is all about part of the live podcast. That is very true. You know, all sorts of things happen. So you left. Istanbul. How long have you been in Istanbul for? So, been in Istanbul for about a month, give or take, with a you know a few trips outside. So, I arrived at the end of December, spent Christmas in Istanbul, and I thought initially I was like, "One, what am I doing? Spending such a long time in one place? Like, shouldn't I be back on the bike and moving on?" But Actually, what was really interesting is that after a couple of weeks, you know, I started to meet people, and then I started to meet more people, and then all of a sudden, three or four weeks into my time in Istanbul, and I was like, "There's so much to do, so many more people to meet." And actually, the result is that I left Istanbul with a network of contacts across Turkey. Super exciting because I now know quite a few different people who might well be joining on Chris. And people to meet and sort of share experiences with along the roads. So what I thought felt like wasted time, actually, has perhaps paved the way for Turkey being a huge success, even in these pretty complex times when it's difficult to get anyone on the back. And the fact that Sinan joined between Istanbul and most of the way to Ankara was just testament to that.、It、was awesome. So if you spent four weeks sort of based in Istanbul, albeit travelling outside. 
presumably you got to know the city quite well, I guess. Was there anything in particular that surprised you about Istanbul or any assumptions that you'd made beforehand thinking, oh, well, it's going to be like this or that. And, and then you're there and realise that actually that's not the case. I mean, Istanbul, Turkey's been the first country where I really feel that life is lived quite differently because of the COVID regulations. There's a curfew after nine. Everyone wears a mask in the street. You cannot sit down in any cafes or restaurants. And that's in huge contrast to, say, Ukraine, where, yes, people wore masks in shops and going into cafes. But beyond that, it really felt like life went on as normal. So it was was a bit of a shock. Okay. I know it's something that everyone back in the UK has experienced for, for some time. Hmm. Have you been to Istanbul before? Uh, yeah, I've been back uh, three years ago. Yeah, that was the um, okay. first time. So did you notice it was... a particularly different this time around or has much changed well i mean the city hasn't changed too much it, there's now a 60,000 seater mosque that's been built um it was completed best about a year ago or so uh, some people see that as quite an emphatic statement of the way that the country is moving or at least erdogan is trying to lead the country in appeasing to the more religious parts of it so it's this massive mosque with six minarets which uh again is a bit of a statement symbol very well no mosques really have six so it's kind of a there's a bit of one-upmanship going on um (laughs) but no i think the main difference is just the feel of the place because you don't have musicians outside Mm. just slightly less relaxed feel to it i suppose you know lots of police around just to make sure people are following the regulations it does give it the impact of the last year is being felt there yeah absolutely Obviously, you know, Christmas is a massive big deal here in the UK. What was it like spending Christmas in a predominantly Muslim country, being out in Turkey? It was fun spending Christmas in Istanbul. There wasn't any celebrations or, you know, lights in the streets or Santa Clauses or kind of, you know, Christmas chocolates in the shop. None of that. But on Christmas, we cycled on Chris the tandem to this place called Belgrade Forest, a bit outside of Istanbul, and we were in Santa Hats. And we got so much love from all the car drivers, people waving, honking their horns. They must have thought that Father Christmas had sort of traded in his sleigh for a tandem for some reason. Yeah, got rid of the reindeer and replaced it with two wheels and two people. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. You started the week in Istanbul, you finished up in Ankara. You've been able to compare the two quite directly. What do you feel is the biggest difference between those two cities? They're totally different cities. Istanbul is the economic and cultural hub of Turkey. And Turkey's population is about 80 million. And about the uh, best part of 20 million people live in the Istanbul area and the greater Istanbul area. So it is a focal point for the country. Quarter of the Turkish population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, near enough. So it's huge. And you've got people from all, all around Turkey come to Istanbul. So you also get a cross-section of Turkey in mm. Istanbul, which is one of the reasons why the mayoral elections that happened, I guess, a couple of years ago, I think, they were seen as quite significant. They voted for the non-AKP party candidate, and AKP is Erdogan's party, so it was the, the opposition candidate. And he, after a recount, romped home to victory. So that's sort of seen as a, a little bit of a litmus test of the way the country is leaning. 
And by contrast, Ankara is very different. It's where the administration of the country happens. It's felt in some ways like one big army base, actually, because there are so many, you know, the Air Force base, there's a police place, there's all sorts. Of, and then you're just constantly passing these barriers with an armed guard outside and these you know, big black fences. So it did feel very different. And it's not quite as pretty and characterful as okay. Istanbul. It's all built in the same style more or mm. less um but you know still great coffee shops Istanbul has developed over years and years and years and oh yes yeah, centuries is that sort of a, a bit more of a mix but byzantium constantinople istanbul yeah, it's had that exactly. heritage whereas ankara that was chosen by ataturk after the first world war and i'm not a historian but istanbul was lost to the allied powers and ataturk retreated to ankara to have that as the base where modern turkey was formed there i think you're going to have to give us a little a tiny bit of turkish history every week over the next few weeks um, i'll do my best but i'm i'm no historian you have to learn something new every week to be able to okay share we'll give that a go so you told us a bit about both Istanbul and Ankara. So you told us about your start and your end of the week. What about the middle? What happened in between? Yeah, so Sinan and I were making some very good progress on Chris. And uh, one of the highlights, I guess there's a, you know, a highlight and a low light. The highlight was on the second day of riding, we were um, cycling through this place called Duje. Fairly unremarkable as it happens. But what it does have is an amazing cycle club, the Duje Cycle Club. And they they met us and we had about 15 riders join us and two tandems. And it was one of those times when I was sort of pinching myself because here I was cycling with Sinanyu, who's from Turkey. That's absolutely in the spirit of what Bristol to Beijing is about, sharing the journey with other people. And then we also had other cyclists from Turkey joining us, sharing the experience together. And there were two tandems, like how cool is that? So we made a posse of three tandems and it was so much fun. There was this guy who could make this kind of hooting siren sound, incredibly high pitched and incredibly loud. And then he did a wheelie. I'm sure that everyone can hear you coming well in advance. But... Well, exactly. They don't think much of Turkish drivers. They think they're quite unsafe. To be honest, I don't see too much difference. You know, you get nutcases anywhere in the world and um, I haven't really seen more here than anywhere else, but um, yeah, they were concerned about that. The more of the downside part of the week was on our final morning together, Sinan and I, we were leaving this town called Bolu and we'd been cycling for about five minutes. We were still very much within the city, within the town. And we were going up this hill and I was changing gears. And then all of a sudden something snaps or goes and I can't change any gears and I'm stuck in the smallest gear which was good for a steep slope and gets you going at about four k's an hour or something. Not much more than that. No, no, nothing more than that. We were sort of stuck in the smallest gear. And <laughs> okay, long story short, we spent four hours by the side of the road trying to repair this problem. And basically a set of bolts had sheared two cogs that are supposed to mesh. They kind of came apart and Sinan just jumped into his element and was like, right, we need a spanner. He goes off and finds a spanner in this place. I had no idea where anything is. And he's like, right, kind of do a bit of problem solving, right? What we need is some more bolts. So he goes off to the industrial district and he's got the wheel, back wheel of the tandem. He's in his helmet and cycle kit. And he's just like, like wanders <laughs> off down the street. With a wheel. And I'm like, Bye mate. And like, just like, it's totally normal. Leaving you with a tandem with one wheel. Exactly. So I was just, you know, holding Chris's pedals by the side of the road. And I just ate lots of simit and drank tea whilst 
<laughs> while Sinan actually did the useful stuff and got all sorts of bolts. So really it was thanks to Sinan that we got back on the road and I was able to reach Ankara. Yeah, otherwise you would have been a bit a bit stuck, I think. Very, very stuck. It would have taken you a very long time to get there. <sighs> I do not like to think about it. No. Have mechanicals been a frequent occurrence over the past year and a bit or...? Is that a one-off? Um, it kind of comes and goes. I was joined by a very good friend, Michelle, and it, this was in Croatia. And I think she must have come away thinking that this guy, Luke, has absolutely no idea what he's doing in bike maintenance. Because that week we had something like five flat tires, an absolutely ridiculous number. <laughs> uh, but honestly, that's unusual. It, but it does tend to be, so you have like two months of no problems at all. And then they all happen at the same time. That's my experience. And it's probably a reflection of my casual attitude towards bike maintenance. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. And then it suddenly becomes very broken. Probably get a lot of hate for saying that, but um, yeah. Okay. So you told us about the cities, the places you cycled through. Was there any point during the week when you wished you weren't doing it or you wished you weren't on a bike? I mean, I feel incredibly fortunate to be doing what I'm doing right now. And, you know, there have been times in the past, like when I was in Ukraine and I was just cycling into this 30k an hour headwind for best part of two weeks straight, where it felt very tough mentally and I wasn't enjoying it very much. But I know how fortunate I am to be doing this to be traveling at a time of year when so few people mm. can can travel and I you know think to myself there is a time when I was on chemotherapy and I would have given mm. anything at all to be out cycling even into a 50 mile an hour headwind in the freezing cold nothing could have been better so I'm always I try to always be very aware of that However, you know, one of the more unpleasant aspects of the, this week has been, I don't know what it was, whether it was a, a, a dodgy, dodgy piece of lettuce, some, some bad water, uh, but I ended up with, yeah, some, some food poisoning. And I woke up on the day I was to cycle to Ankara about 85 kilometers. And I had a headache. I barely slept. My limbs were aching. And uh, there were frequent trips to the toilet but I had to get to anchor anyway and you know mm. you find a way <laughs> yeah okay in general you'd say this week how does it rate amongst your time on the bike so far is this a typical week is this a good week is this a what would you say how would you rate it I mean I'd love to say it's a typical week that every week I've got someone new joining for a few days and I hope that's the way that it, the ride will continue you know however that is not always been that straightforward so actually this has been a really a really fantastic week, a really amazing way to restart the ride for 2021, to share the journey, not just with Sinan, but with these guys from Duje, uh, to make some really good miles on the bike, and then to see Turkey at a time which was just utterly beautiful. It was covered in snow. We set off a day late from Istanbul because it was just bucketing it down with snow, and I couldn't even see the other side of the Bosphorus. And that meant that we were just cycling through this landscape that was just stunning, cloaked in white. Is it no normal for Turkey? It's definitely not what I would have expected yeah. at all. Well, it's not what I would expect either. But actually, I think they do get snow in, in Istanbul. Not that much. and But yeah, most years they'd expect to get snow. But it was a bit of a, a dump 
One of the things about Turkey, I've been told, is that it's got many, many different climates. There's sort of Mediterranean coastal vibe. They've got high mountains by the Black Sea. It's very, very wet. It's much more sort of desert-like and very dry in the southeast, sort of near Gaziantep and the border with, mm. with Syria and Iraq. So you actually, you can't generalize with the climate to Turkey. There is, there is so much. It snows in some places and it's probably bone dry and in others. But you've been out making the most of it, so which is the important thing, really, I think. That's the idea. A good first week on the bike in Turkey. And you've got quite a few weeks of cycling in Turkey still to go. So if anyone listening to this has any questions for you, I can ask them if you send them into us. Absolutely. And I would love to be able to ask Luke your questions. Yeah, anyone listening to this and really wants to ask any questions at all, not just about the ride, but there are so many you know, other issues and things that might be of interest. Do send them in to Kate. Kate is the best sort of talking head. I hope that's not too offensive to say. Um, that's slightly offensive, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I'm more than just a talking I'll get pillied for that later. Kate will have a revenge. Don't you worry, listeners. The joy of having the editor's knife. Oh, God. But please, please do send in your questions. I would love to answer them and lift the lid on what it's like to, to cycle across Eurasia in the year 2021. And that was this week's episode of the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed it. And thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing, and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>